Welcome back to Reformed Millennials, the podcast where finances, economic trends, and sports intersect. Cam and Joel help listeners better invest their time and money. Also, it's important for listeners to understand that investing in equities, fixed income instruments, and or alternative asset classes involves substantial risk of loss. Any action you may take as a result of the information presented in this podcast is your own responsibility. The information in this podcast is presented as a general educational, informational, and entertainment resource only. While Joel is registered to provide investment advice, this podcast does not provide individualized investment, tax, or insurance advice, nor is it meant as a recommendation to any listener to buy or sell any specific securities or otherwise take any other form of investment action. This is an excerpt of the full legal disclaimer that's available on the landing page of this podcast, which includes whether Cam Pitchers or Joel Shackleton have any ownership or interest in the specific securities discussed in this podcast. All right, Joel, we're back. I was thinking about the famous scene from The Hangover today. We said we are back when they're going out to negotiate with to get Doug back. So we are back. <laughs> it's exciting. Two weeks, or I guess three weeks, technically have kind of blown by here. Uh, you were in Italy along with half of Alberta, it seems like, because either been to Italy, in Italy, or going to Italy in 2023. Yeah. You know, um, when the stampede started breaking records this year, mm. you could really get a feel for Alberta being back. That was probably your, your first indicator. And everyone decided at the same time. Yeah. Stampede backed that up with... Going to Italy, Italy, it seems. Yeah. And when you meet more Albertans in Italy than you do any other group of people, you mm. know oil and gas is back, baby. <laughs> Nothing screams oil and gas like Italy, <laughs> which doesn't at all. It makes no sense. Every car is the size of my thumb. It's it's definitely a. a great what was the European vibe like? Like I know we got a lot to get into, a lot to catch up on. I think this is going to be a pretty financially financial heavy podcast. Maybe a yeah. little bit of sports, a little bit of marketing stuff mixed in. But in general, like we talk about, or we have talked a lot in the last twelve months, just a meeting contrasting the. European market or European economy. And I mean, largely a lot of it's been driven on tourism in the past and in, in certain subsectors, etc. Quick question posed to you. Yeah. Okay. If you were to guess off, yeah. which country <laughs> yeah. has the most or receives the most travelers in a year, uh, which on country average or in the entire world right now, right now on average though, on average across an entire year, Tra- tourists or just tourists. general business. Okay. Um, which country? Mm. Not city, country. <laughs> yeah, I, I know countries well. I actually wanted to pick somewhere in the Middle East. Like I was kind of thinking like Dubai kind of thing. But mm, that'd maybe be a terrible guess. Okay, um, okay, so it's Europe based. Some people would often say the United States. Like well, you no, would guess I, the USA. I was going to say like, I was going to say Italy or Spain or France. One of those three. But. All of those are very good guesses because okay. they're all in the top five. Okay. So. France is number one, mm. which is crazy. Everyone wants to go to the city of love. Yeah, and it's no wonder. And there's that meme where it says there's like, I don't know, two characters. There's the Americans on the left that, and there's a reply to email, and their out-of-office email is, I will get back to you 
or I'm on vacation, but I'll get back to you within the hour. Mm -hmm. And then there's the European one. And it says, I'm on vacation until October 1st. Mm -hmm. I'll get back to you in the fall. And it's when you go to Italy, that's what it's like. Mm -hmm. Their businesses are super odd. You go Mm -hmm. to lunch. They're closed from noon till two. Who closes the place that get lunch from noon till two? A European does. It's the culture is definitely different. Would I, I don't maybe it's not something to riff on right now because maybe we don't know enough about the dynamics. But I, my recollection is that Italy is now like the prime minister or president of Italy, whatever it is. She would be kind of a in term in European terms would be kind of a on the right and pretty far to the right in comparison. Yeah, but I think the country to, in general is very Catholic. Right. So moral, they're, they would generally socially fall further right than the rest of Europe. But then a lot of their like culture, like in, in, in the terms, in terms of business mm-hmm. does not feel very conservative. No, it would fall further left, right? Mm-hmm. They love having 15% unemployment. Like it's what they like because <laughs> they don't have to. And I, I say that with tongue in cheek. It's, that's not true. But I think one thing most people don't recognize is that when you look at Albertans in Italy, they're in Palermo or they're in the beautiful Amalfi Coast, mm. and they're visiting tourist towns. You go into more of the industrial Italy, which is still gorgeous and mm. way nicer than Alberta visually. Um, the vibe's different. They're busier. They're working. Yeah, like Milano or whatever, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So I think that we get a different taste for Italian culture when we go to their tourist towns. Well, you're not going there to check out the financial district the the time. You <laughs> are going... They have one. Well, they do, but... Um, to enjoy some vino and uh, some carbonara. Yeah, very... Say. Was that pretty good? Carbonara. Better than me, for pretty sure. Good. I, I know zero words. <laughs> okay, Joel, you got a lot to get into. Um, we've... I wouldn't say it's been the most... The most active three, I think we picked a pretty decent three weeks to not be recording in terms of, you know, breaking down news or really important things that we might want to sink our teeth into. But at the same time, there's obviously been, we're getting more data, more information on kind of where we see this economy going in the, in the near or in the short and long term. Yeah. So yesterday we got CPA data in the United States. And it was broadly in line with expectations. Shelter inflation remains pretty high and stubbornly high. Uh, Gas prices started to contribute uh, to the upside Mm -hmm. where it has been a big driver of reduction in in inflation in the past, call it nine months. It has now started to contribute on the other side. Um, I think that this is unfortunately showing that it's sticky. And you could see it as traders started to price in Uh, the 10 year that we're likely going to see this affect equities on a valuation basis because people were of the mind that we're going to get multiple cuts next year. That is being redistributed in terms of um, how long are we going to stay this tight monetarily and for how long. And I think that is being reflected in the yield curve and it's going to continue to probably stay or be higher for longer until we see a let up in employment and because it's mm-hmm. still very, very, very tight in the United States. Now, contrast that with Canada, and we're seeing very similar, um, we'll call it stickiness in terms of, of inflation, but 
that stickiness is showing itself in in a in in a way in which we have less control over than they do. If anything, I think we're going to likely see cracks, not necessarily in employment, but just in our economy in general because of the way in which our mortgage rates are di- distributed. The yeah. fact that a large percentage of people have um, floating rate mortgages or variable mortgages. Enough to make a big difference. Enough yeah. to really hurt, right? Yeah. And that yeah. also starts to show itself in commercial real estate. It starts to show itself in a number of different areas in the market. and. Because real estate is a larger percentage of our pop or of our economy, it's going to likely impact us more, mm-hmm. and that then reverberates through the financials. It reverberates itself through the rest of the economy. So, I mean, I don't like, or I have often in the past kind of assumed Canada is America and America is Canada, but that isn't likely going to be the case with regards to this f- consistent fighting of inflation. And the United States has at least in my opinion, done a fairly good job. Now you start to look at Europe, you start to look at other parts of of the world and the US dollar reckoned balls back and it's strengthening versus the rest of the currencies across the globe because they've stopped raising interest rates and they've actually started to ease in the case of, of China. And that means that if you're going to go and lend money to other economies, you're likely gonna do it in an economy that's tightening interest rates where you can get better yields. And Mm -hmm. that just means you buy US dollars. And it's quite clear to me that we're we're heading into a very choppy three to six month period. In the past, I've always talked about how um, markets are six months forward looking. And you can see that in the fact that the NASDAQ has has sold off at one point, I think Apple was down eight or 9% Mm -hmm. um, from its all time high. Uh, it's, It's, becoming challenging to see any further acceleration in prices. So um, I think we're in for a challenging period. I can see positioning across the market in terms of buying different, they're not just, people aren't just buying the NASDAQ and going to and, and taking a vacation anymore. It's very clear that there's a repositioning happening. You can see strength in gold, you can see strength in, in industrials, you can see strength in energy. And all of those um, make a lot of sense in the le- with the lens of inflation is going to be stickier. Mm-hmm. Um, the consumer is going to start slowing down. And if that's the case, um, we should likely reprice long duration, long duration meaning um, companies that are growing really fast, equities down a little bit. Right. And then the ones that are perhaps a little, I mean, more stable. Mm-hmm. So think like Mercedes, think... Johnson and Johnson, think United Healthcare, those sorts of things. Um, you're likely going to see people pile into that end of the of the market. So, so basically, the the if I think back three months ago when we were talking about the conflicting reports, essentially, or the conflicting narratives that were out there, that was, hey, the market's already priced in cuts starting October of 2023. That's going to happen. Push, push, push. Whereas Fed Powell, I would say North America in general, was saying, eh, like not coming out right out and saying it, but being very maybe non-committal mm-hmm. and saying, well, I don't know, like we need more information, we need more information, we don't, we don't want to commit to anything like that. And now it's basically, I would say, in general, accepted that, yes, I mean, we talked about Canada maybe announcing a bit earlier than the States that... You know, we're looking at, you know, this time next year or Q2 maybe of 2024. 
uh, calendar where we might see some some cuts. And now I think the U.S. is kind of a lot of people and that a lot of the information that I'm reading, a lot of the information that you're sharing, and I'm sure going to have in in the newsletter this week is 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 kind of supporting that. So I feel like you know the the two the two conflicting rhetorics have now kind of found a, a middle ground and maybe more of a push towards that that narrative from three months ago. So the people that predicted that don't get your don't get your hopes up was are maybe a proven correct a little bit more than than the others in this scenario so and i don't know if we had this as planned but i do want to kind of go through it as it's a it's a it's a look back on two years ago Mm. wait on the the crazy tech bubble of of the pandemic and there is a really good tweet thread from simple investing and he did this pandemic boom and bust a compilation of companies and i think that this is is a interesting look back because um, and maybe people don't know this, but Instacart, something that I actually use myself and I've used mm-hmm. when traveling in the United States um, as a grocery delivery business yep. is going public today. At one point, it was raising money at a $39 billion valuation. So for context, that's bigger than Suncor. It is now running at an 8 to $9 billion likely IPO price, which mm-hmm. is a pretty significant um, <laughs> repricing. It tells me that Slightly. private markets are still kind of out of whack and um, out to lunch. Now, I'm going to go through a couple of companies here. Zoom, yep. kind of a poster child for pandemic. pandemic. 100%. At one point, its market cap was $168 billion, which is crazy. Um, it's na- new market cap, and people still use Zoom all the time. I was going to say, it's still it's still highly used and, it's, and referenced. It's a verb. It's you a know verb. what I mean? Like 100%. Like even... I mean, Microsoft would be, I mean, professionally speaking, I think uh, I'd assume at your office, you're on Microsoft. Like, I mean, there's the kind of Google Meets and Zoom and... We have Citrix. And, okay, yeah, and, and, and Teams and Citrix. <laughs> but I would say even if you are using those other platforms, let's hop on a Zoom. Like, that's totally just part of the rhetoric or yeah, part, part of the part of the, uh, the verbiage now. So it's not like it's gone. But no. it's in terms of, I guess, to be fair, I mean, the, I mean that market cap bloated for sure at the $21 billion and Well, it's easy to say that. But at the time, everyone thought we're never, ever, ever not going to be working on Zoom. Oh, 100%. I agree. But I, I guess is what I'm saying is that that was the, it was first mover for a lot of people who didn't have the other infrastructure in place to say like, oh, I, I mean, like they, they got out there quickly, I guess, and were on everybody's laptops. Oh, yeah and use quickly. So I, I totally get where that, <laughs> where that uptick came from, but that's, that's one that is like, yeah, just the peak of insanity, the peak of where someone like me bought it at 168 billion. <laughs> <laughs> so next one I want to talk about is Carvana. I don't know how many people remember Carvana, but Carvana has those, like, if you go to the United States, they literally mm-hmm. have vending machines for cars and they right. were buying cars off people with like sight unseen. And, giving you the price that you asked for it and then thinking that they could reprice it up and sell it. Well, that business went from 68 to nine today. I mean, if you look at the chart, they've actually started to reaccelerate in terms of the prices going up again. Have they pivoted on their market? Like what's their strategy or that's continued to be there? I don't follow the car um, vending machine business, but <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. I do think what's their competition. <laughs> uh, the Snickers family is really a little bit pissed. The one thing that I would say about that is 
it's a tough business. Used cars is a tough business and it's a lot of, it's still baked in old tradition. Mm -hmm. I think when, especially when you, if you were listening to this podcast, you, you, you try to visualize the, the, the used car market and you have these lots and weird places in the city that totally. there's always, everyone has a guy or, or a yeah. person. Um, it's difficult for me to be like, Oh no, no, no. those people are going to get disrupted by Carvana. Yeah, maybe, but I don't think so. So it's a longer, like that's like a generational change that would have to right. happen rather than getting enough people on board immediately to use something like zoom. Yeah. Right? And for them, the carrying costs of those cars at current interest rates, no, mm -hmm. not going to happen. Right. And, and this is something I actually want to talk about more um, on a go forward because mm -hmm. right now it's my opinion that the car manufacturing business is going to, I, Elon won in terms of business model and what happens over the next 15 years? Because traditional ICE, um, so ICE vehicles being, um, yep. Uh, I don't know. You're the, <laughs> come on. You're, you just said a vehicle guy. ICE is, um, internal combustion engine. Thank you. Oh, there you go. Um, vehicles have been couple, the way in which we've thought about a couple business engineers. For a long time. Yeah, we're very smart people. Um, <laughs> we've thought about cars for a long period of time and now the electric vehicles here and the cost of an electric vehicle is higher because you have a battery cost that is much higher than the, the ice portion of the vehicle. And, mm. um, that has then led to a vertical integration of the call it supply chain of, of energy, right? Where Tesla has two new business lines that Ford and GM and all of these other competitors just don't have yet. And, the, the fact that they have self-driving, which, I mean, whether it works or doesn't work, I'm not here to comment on, but they also have integrated the N1 with their charging network. And the charging network, while you and I have had terrible experience with, um, <laughs> is still now the, the their, their, their plug is now becoming the, the mandated plug across the entire industry, right. which tells me that you're going to have to go through them in order to access this, this business. And they're going to be the aggregator of platforms. And if you think back to um, the successful tech companies of the last 15 years, so Google, Amazon, Microsoft, Facebook, Apple, they're all platforms. They're all aggregators of demand. And Amen. they eat everyone who comes to their platform. Mm -hmm. Tesla is now, if they can own the two aggregation platforms, that being energy delivery and um, self-driving, mm -hmm. Their market cap, to me, is justified if that's the case. Like mm -hmm. That's the bull case for them. Right. But yeah, also, like it poses an enormous problem for car manufacturers because all of the, the, the value chain is going to be extracted by Tesla. You can only make so much margin on a vehicle. Mm -hmm. So you look at Mercedes, you look at Ford, you look at GM, they're all trading at four times, a four times earnings multiple. And Tesla is trading at infinity multiple. The only other company that has any sort of um, valuation to, to speak to is Toyota because they are the largest car manufacturer in the world. It's mm -hmm. pretty clear that the market thinks old hat manufacturing, if you're not on the luxury end, so think Ferrari, Lamborghini, is at best 
a three or 4% growth business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unless you're like an, you know, the LVMH equivalent in on the vehicle yeah, side. Yeah. Which I actually think is good. like Mercedes, for instance, is an interesting play here. They're going to start releasing um, electric cars, mm-hmm. but um, that's not investment advice. But I, I could see that being the end of the market where people still prefer brand luxury. They'll pay a higher margin for a nicer mm-hmm. vehicle. You start to look at the, the people <clears throat> that buy G Wagons and. I mean, price yeah, doesn't I, matter to them. I've kind of wondered this because, like, I just recently bought a used vehicle, mm-hmm. and I'm not a. V- I'm obviously based on this conversation and us struggling through ICE for about thirty seconds. Yeah. The, I was very ignorant to new car pricing, and I mean, bad time for buying. I mean, interest rates were like you know, there was no new car deals at the time. I mean. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. I didn't. I didn't have a my my evidence here is pretty anecdotal, obviously. But in terms of the and I mean inflation, cost of living, whatever you want to call it, changes over the past ten years from the last time I looked at a vehicle. I understand that prices are going to be much higher. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. But the all of what you just talked about to me, like the thing that is kind of alarm bell going off in my head is like, okay, from a used car standpoint, is the is the market for that not going to increase substantially in the next five to 10 years until the economies of scale for and the infrastructure in a place like Alberta, Canada in general, we do not have the electric, you know, from having an electric vehicle for a while, we don't have the infrastructure to support having 30%, 40% of the vehicles on the road being electric vehicles. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but I think that was my take right now based off of talking to people who have them mm-hmm. and the struggles that they find and just having uh, infrastructure available outside of at their home or in a downtown center if you're traveling rurally or whatever it might be the infrastructure is not there so if the costs of all of these kind of call it the traditional vehicle is continuing to increase and the access to cash is not exactly cheap right now mm-hmm. is the is the used car market not going to be a place to have focus on and to understand that there's going to be probably more people than there used to be looking into that market. Not yeah. sure what your take is on that. No, 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 I totally agree with that sentiment. And I think, I mean, even traditional, if you're, if you're looking short term, so when you like three years or less, yeah, yeah, for um, sure. yeah. the distributors are vehicles. So you're, you're <clears throat> whatever you're tr- like, you go to a Ford dealership or you go to mm-hmm. Volkswagen, there's, probably going to still do better do well because they can buy a vehicle at a price see the entire market and then be able to find another buyer a little bit better than a traditional retail buyer will yeah. so they're going to make great margins there yeah however over 15 20 years i don't know right it's mm. an interesting change mercedes ford they've both made this commitment to getting rid of the traditional um go to market where they now go direct to consumer. Right. Yeah. That's going to change a lot. And the same way in which Apple has um, sort of changed the way that they deliver phones right now. I don't know if, did you watch the Apple event? Probably not. not. No. I, I did. The, the way in which they deliver phone, phone, phones is changing. So it's no longer that you need to go to Rogers or Telus. You can actually buy it through. I don't think that's going to happen in Canada, Apple. but <laughs> a little bit different in Canada. No, no, no doubt. We, we have a, or our telecom companies have a stranglehold on the consumer here, but more broadly mm-hmm. across North America, yeah, 
Apple has gone more direct to consumer. They're sure. they're stealing more of the value chain from our or from the telecommunication companies. They are providing financing for that, backed by Goldman Sachs. You have all of these new changes. Mm. And the if you can think about what that's likely going to mean for other industries where you can go or the internet, once you go onto the internet, it starts to benefit aggregators better than it would benefit those that were perhaps um, in a small town or in even a large town, the way in which people consume changes, right? Mm -hmm. And the, the GDP of the internet is ever increasing and growing at a way higher pace than inflation. If you think that one day we're going to be 50, 60, 70, 80% of consumption done via online, Mm -hmm. which like right now, I think we're still sub 20 in North America. That means that the way in which we consume, but also the way in which the the business dynamics of these these older um, traditional businesses are going to change. And I'm not saying no one's going to buy a car from a dealership anymore. That's not Mm -hmm. what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting that the way in which we consume might change and we will be buying maybe not from a family-owned dealership in 20 years, but from directly from that dealership's head office. And that's going to probably play out across all industries as they go online. And the first ones to have done that, and actually what's currently happened in the market today is the internet businesses all got disrupted. If you, <laughs> internet, I should say the, the cable businesses, so television. Yeah. Everyone went streaming, everyone went to an app base, and <laughs> that has caused a lot of reverberations through all of Hollywood. It's called, caused problems all the way through even the sporting world. And mm-hmm. then we're starting to see pinches and even locally with our radio stations, our, um, our regional sports networks. Yeah, the media landscape. Is that just... is all s- changing so fast. Mm-hmm. And it's all about aggregation dynamics and value chain understanding. You know, it's really funny that, like, <clears throat> I just thought of this as you were saying it, but... The market itself in terms of, I mean, access to that market is, is changing and, and, and what me as a consumer, you as a consumer are using to get our fill in media is changing. We talked about the fracturing of that, et cetera. But like for all, the way I'm thinking about it is now barrier entry in certain cases might be very high or difficult to get into if you don't have the expertise per se, but it's not like the market has shrunk in no, terms of yeah in terms of like who you can get after and making a living in that sphere it's just the way they have to go about it what's happening to to like tv and sports consumption and media that's what happened to music yeah in the 2000 early 2010s mm-hmm. with spotify and itunes and napster and mm-hmm. um, but the overall gdp of of the music industry has increased how much we spend on music has gone up at a higher pace than inflation. Oh, I was about to say, like, I mean, at the end of the day, we think about how this was a, you know, low cost thing for, you know, a streaming service or whatever it might be. We all know in 10 years, I'm going to be spending as much on all the things that way I used more. to watch thing are way more than I am currently with cable where I complain. And so I can't believe I'm paying 150 bucks a month to tell us for the, this. The sports watcher is going to be the burdening all of the, of the new cost. Because my my in-laws yeah. are not going to buy the sports package ever. Right. They haven't watched a sporting event since the the Nagano Olympics. Like, <laughs> I'm telling you, there's, there's no way. However, 
you and I and our friend group and just people that maybe grew up playing sports, all of those people are going to um, bear the, the burden of the increasing costs because mm-hmm. we are, there's no way for us not to. For the and, the de- time. and the demand for that product is there's still a high demand for that product and aggregator or whoever is offering that they used media to the service into cable. Well, and, and now it seems like, well, we need, we need you to pay 50 bucks a month for this in order yeah. to hold up the rest of our offerings anyways. And we just so. saw this with the, with the Disney charter deal. Mm-hmm. And apparently something like 35% of the revenue generated from a cable bundle in the United States or a spectrum cable bundle went to directly to Disney. And then you have all of the other stuff that was around it, right? And everyone in the past would have to buy cable. And then Disney would get all of it. <laughs> and now that is completely changing. Where we fractured into this, this streaming business. And now people can go to market and buy what they want. Mm-hmm. The sports person used to benefit from the person who only watches the Food Network or the HGTV. But they had to buy cable and as a result, would have ESPN, even though they never even went on the channel. Mm-hmm. But they didn't know. They were mostly just paying for ESPN. The rest of it was free. So now they don't have to buy ESPN. Yeah. ESPN is losing on the short end because they don't have that indifferent or even the, the person who doesn't like sports paying for their subscri- subscription anymore or their business or their, their services. <laughs> they're just going to go direct to what they need yeah. or what they want. Yeah. So if we don't see a rebundling, which is going to happen, we are going to see the great rebundling again. It's going to be an app form. It's not going to be via. Yeah. You'll have four choices. Cable. And are you, what do you Which one are you? With? Are you ad? Are you the ad tier? Are you the semi ad tier? Are you the sports ad tier? Or are you the all in everything non ad tier? Mm-hmm. And that's what it's likely going to be. Right. So this conversation we're having i want people to apply to every business that's going to the internet the big benefactor beneficiaries of that are the aggregators aggregators being google being microsoft apple facebook they're all aggregating demand and then they can extract all value and that's where there's a lot of businesses trying to avoid it right that's the reason why shopify was like arming the rebels against amazon but hilariously they just made a massive deal with amazon in order to use their prime network for delivery, same day delivery. All of this is starting to flush itself out and the great rebundling of what was fractured during the, um, the, the great, I don't know, call it the, the pandemic, whatever, is starting to come back together and it's starting to look a lot like what happened to the music industry, what happened to the newspaper industry, and it's gonna happen to every type of, of um, sector of our market, whether it be healthcare, Etc. This is mm-hmm. kind of the way that it happens. It fractures out, you find the winners, and then the massive aggregator on the internet wins and extracts all the value. And you have to worry about that. And in the car market, that's Tesla. And it's Toyota. I don't know which one, or who's going to end up being able to benefit from that, but if you're not able to be a big brand that people overpay for, mm-hmm. you're likely not going to be able to... You're, you're just turned into a commodity and your business stinks. So... It's fair enough. <laughs> I want to talk about one thing quickly that you probably didn't want to talk about much, but mm. um, Taylor Swift is going to be going direct to theater. Yeah, man, I don't know about this. Like, I, I mean, <laughs> everything she touches is gold right now. I mean, I know before we took our hiatus there, we talked about the 
essentially probably the most successful tour of all time. I mean, realistically, right? I mean, at the end of the day, what tickets were going for and... My father-in-law even said that she's bigger than the Beatles. I couldn't... I didn't even think that was possible to get that out of his... <laughs> it's... <laughs> it's truly remarkable to see the strategy that she's kind of rolled out and made work from from the gaining control, gaining more control or as much control as possible of her own product to basically taking however many years, like building up this demand and then just creating this monster that we're currently seeing in terms of, hey, I've, I've put out all of this new content at once and I'm coming, like, I mean, she's in New York for six shows. She's in Toronto for six shows. She's in wherever for six shows. Every single night sold out, like SoFi sold out in LA for however many shows. It's just crazy. And so I guess I can't argue with the fact that she, every decision that her and her team have made have worked in relation to the, this most recent, call it 12 month stretch or 18 month stretch and the buildup of, of this tour and the content that she's pumping out. But the fact that it's now going to be marketed that I need to go to the theaters to watch a, is it like a behind the scenes of have the you, tour? Have you seen the, or? Have you seen the, the commercial for it? No. Why would I watch that? What? Immediately change. <laughs> okay. I shouldn't say it's on like my, a cable on my, on my On my regular cable. <laughs> yeah. No, it's on. I saw. I watched it on Instagram, I think. It's, oh, there's your there's Well, her your show. She yeah. is or she has gone or broken away from the big tech. She's bigger mm-hmm. than anyone could imagine, obviously. And... We've discussed this on multiple episodes, but she's the not the rule, but the exception and has danced circles around everybody and is kind of going back to the way in which we used to release. Because in the past, he used to release the premium theater, then cheap theater and then pay-per-view. And then you would have stuff released in planes and hotels and then you go to DVD and then it would finally be on cable. And that's the way in which a movie was released. She's doing that, man. She she has her concert. Mm-hmm. Then she obviously videotaped the entire concert and the behind the scenes. And she d- drove so much demand for those concerts that she was selling out SoFi Stadium six times. It's the biggest tour of all time. And now she's starting to release the premium theater. And now she's starting to release... Then she'll go to cheap theater, and then she'll go to pay-per-view, and then she'll go to... I guess it's like not a better time to jump on the but that's how I you guess, extract value well and the, the availability of like theaters we've talked at length about not maybe being in the best position right now they're terrible in terms of like their traditional model yeah. so it's like okay well how can we drive i mean if people are going to the theater to see the swifty documentary in droves i'm not like i'm assuming people are going and spending some money at the theater that's showing it and that's probably a good thing for them it's great whereas like i mean if you think I don't know, 10, 15 years ago or whatever, if, you know, maybe take the Swifts and stuff out of it. But this idea wasn't even thought of in terms of but an the, idea to put it in from a uh, media conception standpoint. The theater used to be the aggregator, though. Everyone 100%. wanted to go to the theater. No one wants to go to the theater now. So the only way that you can even get people to the theater is if you have someone like Taylor Swift who's like, oh, I can, let's say you sell a ticket for 15 bucks. Theater, you are going to pay me 13 of that. And say Cineplex Odeon is getting 
taking hammered. a bath. <laughs> this is where you don't want to find yourself in terms of the value chain. You don't want to find yourself in the commodity side where you're just providing a basic service, paying a rent. You know, what's even worse is the people that are renting. They're the ones that are even extracting more. So you find yourself at this like tiny, thin little layer mm-hmm. of the business mm-hmm. and it just keeps squeeze, 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 squeeze till it's zero. And unfortunately, Taylor Swift knows that she has all the leverage and Cineplex Odeon has none. And the landlords, unfortunately, until their lease is up or should be renegotiating. But eventually, unfortunately, the Internet does to what it's done to the the news business mm-hmm. and the music business. It does to everything else. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, it's, it's very interesting. I mean, the other note that you made here is that, you know, events like this in terms of what she's releasing and I mean, even just concert going or concert experience, et cetera, and how this could have a, it'll be very interesting to see how this goes into our world in terms of um, VR or sorry, AR. No, no. Augmented reality versus virtual reality. Virtual means that you're like, well, so the Apple vision pro, we thought we, we broke down that and what, what came out of the release of it and where the possibility of that product is going to in terms of, entertainment consumption Mm -hmm. think about someone like so if taylor swift can make more money by selling like i mean tune into your apple pros at 7 p.m eastern and you're gonna like you could pay for different vantage points (laughs) of your experience seeing the concert live through or whatever it is through your apple vision pros and it's going to be this you're gonna have this option to have the in-person experience versus the on the couch and I mean, maybe she wants to continue to sell out SoFi six times, but you would be able to probably make the same amount of money by doing the in-person twice. She'll do both. It won't matter. I guess it will. It is going to be crazy. This is the only way, in my opinion, you expand the GDP of sport even. They're in Mm. a tough spot where they're lucky they still demand or they would drive people to the proverbial theater. Um, It is the one thing that I continue to desire to do in person frequently yeah i love it i want to get oilers tickets again i don't know why i'm broken but (laughs) that's how i view it like even golf for instance has benefited from the fact that it's in real life it's in person it's an experience the the way in which she creates an experience is one unaffordable the tickets were like 1600 dollars per person but if you go down again that chain of of consumption you're going to find yourself in this vr experience where she can sell that to a consumer that perhaps couldn't afford that, but finds itself or maybe even couldn't make it because of timing, whatever Mm -hmm. she's able to distribute and increase how much she's making. And it's going to happen in everything. I, I would be very interested in, in, and there's, I, I wrote some examples of experiencing the Kentucky, Kentucky Derby. Mm -hmm. I'm not going there. I don't have private jet money. And I think the thing is though, is a lot of those things are like Kentucky Derby is a great example where I have, met people who have gone and said they went there, you know, for the experience of going or, you know, were invited to go, didn't really have any expectations, got there, fell in love with the atmosphere and the Mm. idea of horse racing. Now, can you replicate the Kentucky Derby atmosphere at the Edmonton horse racing track? No, but they were like starting to be like, okay, well, I'm actually kind of following some of this stuff and now I'm kind of interested in it, but I can't fly to Kentucky and spend the money to do that every single year. 100%. 100%. Like the Olympics. All of this stuff is going to... Because I don't think, to your point, there's always going to be 
people, I don't think this not generational based. I don't think this is going to change where people still want to go and experience things live. And there's always going to be a finite, the finite ability to experience those things. There's only so many seats or so many pieces of grass to sit on or whatever it might be to watch a um, concert or a sporting event or whatever else. How do you make this better? This is it. 100%. So I want to get your take on where the regional sports network has gone in Canada, more specifically Edmonton, how it's yeah. starting to redistribute. I was going to say, say, we haven't really um, we haven't hit on everything we wanted to, but obviously, as you can imagine, three weeks of you know yep, aggregating well. information will <clears throat> kind of roll things out over the next few weeks, but... Yeah, my recommendation this week was just going to be for our local listeners and, like, I mean, again, sports fans, Edmonton Oilers, Edmonton Sports, whatever it might be. We've had two rollouts of of Edmonton kind of call it media. One kind of take. We talked about this actually. It's kind of an. It's going to be a very interesting little uh, case study to see how both do. Is one's kind of taking the traditional route combined with news. So like one's one. I think it's. This fan for fourteen forty or something like that, mm-hmm. Edmonton. For those who are tuning in on radio, so they have a radio presence, and then they're obviously doing the podcasting and the and the streaming and whatnot. And then one that's gone all digital, uh, Edmonton Sports Talk, which is going to be like YouTube live streaming that you can. I think they have content for call it, you know, eight to ten hours of the day, uh, the main listening hours, and then obviously all their stuff is curated and then podcasted and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So. My recommendation was going to be support local. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of people who are fans of of sports. So let's listen to our local sports people who are investing and putting a lot of time and energy into trying to create something that has been taken away from a lot of us in our daily routine, which is it's great to see that people or those folks have taken a step to innovate uh, in their own careers and and try something different and come at it from a different angle, kind of to the idea before of of how we're consuming media and, and, and making that change. How do I think it's going to go? I, it's really hard to under, I'm kind of more so looking at it right now on a microscopic level to see which one, like I'm looking at views, like I'll go to like the YouTube and like, I look at their videos they've posted so far on both me like, okay, well, are they, does it seem like one's getting more than the other because of their presence in the radio and then people are checking them out or is it two completely different things or how are they marketing themselves on various platforms to get people driving to these things? So this is like, it's a microcosm of, of Edmonton, but I think you can apply it in general because I wanted to see, or I'm interested in seeing how this rollout is. Obviously they're releasing in September, kind of the perfect sports time ever in terms of mm-hmm. rolling something out content wise. You got kind of every major sport that's either starting or ending or going to playoffs, whatever it might be. And so my take on where the, where it is it's it's awesome that we have the content there um again selfishly locally that's kind of something that has been a part of my life since i was 18 and in terms of things i listen to and things i watch and it's i think that we talked about before we have this um the pie the size of the pie is the same size if not bigger in terms of where we can go with it it's just how you penetrate it. And so I, I, I think it's obviously too early to tell whether or not which strategy is going to work or if they're going to have the the uptick just because, again, you think about the fracturing of our consumption, how much, you know, how many people are 
you know, have moved to an aggregator of some sort or are looking at the rec- recommended things on, on the YouTubes or the TikToks or Twitter or whatever it might be in, in terms of, you know, whatever topics they like. So whether it be sports, et cetera. So are you getting the Stephen A. Smith stuff and the Fox Sports college stuff in your face all the time because that's, that's what gets the most views and what's driving in your recommendations in terms of where we go to for news, that's what you're going to see first. Mm-hmm. You get to kind of seek these things out if you want to, at least at first, at this small scale from a regional standpoint. And so I, I'm going to be very interested to see how they, how that works for them. And like, let's see how their views change over time. And um, obviously we don't have download information, but I think a big portion of at least one of these, I mean, sports talk strategy is, is using YouTube um, as, a, as their, their platform. And so I'm going to be very interested to see how that works for them. They have to go to YouTube, in my opinion. And you know what? My advice to them, who they probably don't listen to this and they would never listen to me because they're a bigger deal, is they all need to bundle together again. Instead of being so their I, own individuals because they all have egos and they all have their own ways of doing business. And, yeah, and we're not here saying there was something um, you know, nefarious between no, the groups, but I, they I obviously just either. had a differing of opinion on where to take it. At oh. least a slight different difference of opinion. In and five so, years, they're all going to come together. I almost, I think I'm so almost too. guaranteeing yeah. it. You have five or six really big personalities in Edmonton that are great Which would be the case of, in, in so many. Like, I mean, we talk about Edmonton was like, we talk about our sports radio, regional sports in, in Edmonton. Again, they were the last to hold on. Yeah. Vancouver, Calgary, love Ottawa. It has gone. Like months, like almost a couple years ago, they shut yeah. down radio stations and the, and the local the local media specifically in but sports. it held on here and in my opinion they're all going to come together again i've already talked to a few of them personally and they probably don't want to admit it because they're a bigger deal than that person and that person's a bigger deal, and that's fine not only that there's a differing in um even topics and interests mm-hmm. but again what we talked about like 30 minutes ago on this podcast is like the idea of of rebundling and aggregating together only benefits everybody Charge because, more. Yeah, yeah, you can charge more. <laughs> and in their case, charge more for advertising. Mm-hmm. If you can get more people to one channel where they don't have to go and hunt it out. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be going and channel surfing on YouTube while I'm driving. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. Get me on something that plays Edmonton-related news all day, and that's where I'll be. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's politics in the morning or do give me a mix at least, right? Or just have different pathways. Yeah. Just, within the same group you have, you have one you have one main channel call it and then you have the fracturing yeah. within that with your benefits of scale you have all of these these things but i mean it's going to take a couple of years i think it's going to yeah. take some failure it's going to take some people the, the fact that it's happening is good 100 I, I think that they were the quick one of the quickest to react in terms of like the major centers in canada anyways in terms of totally. getting this ready to go and, and rolling out so only us to benefit at the end of the day yeah and they're going to be successful i think no matter where they end up it just might take them longer than it has to mm-hmm. so i wish them all the very best of luck and i'm appreciative of the fact that they're they're coming back out because the Edmonton Oilers season wouldn't be the same without it. Be honest. If yeah. we're being honest. Yeah. So. I need to listen to some guy talking about trading McDavid. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. Cam. Eddie, you got two quick recos or one quick reco. I think you got a, you know, you have a bunch to share in the newsletter, but yeah, I, my recommendation, go to the newsletter. Um, HBO has got so much stuff flying out right now and it's fantastic. The bear television show finished it on the plane. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, I was in. I saw that TV you wrote show. in there. I I have that on my watch list because I don't have whatever it streams on. Is it Warner or no? It streams on Disney. 
Plus. Oh, it does. Okay, so yeah. maybe maybe I just have it on my watch list then. But I've heard nothing but good things. I think it's the highest rated TV show of all time, which is crazy, and it lives up to that. It is fantastic all the way through. I almost had a heart attack twice, but it is so <laughs> so good. Okay, well we'll check that out. Uh, we'll be back next week with some more uh, hard hitting content, and maybe we will know our acronyms for that one. I'm heading to England for only yes. four days. I'm not going to punish the podcast for my personal Thank you. vacation. I appreciate that. And we ha- appreciate that. Happy to be back with everybody. I'll talk to you next week.